Just a young gun with a quick fuse. I was uptight, I wanna let loose. And I was dreaming of bigger things. And I wanna leave my own life behind. Not a yes, sir, and not a follower. I fit the box, fit the mold, have a seat in the foyer. And take a number. I was lightning before the thunder. In my classes, while I was scheming to the masses, who do you think you are? Dreaming about being a big rock star. You say you're basic, you say you're easy, you're always riding in the backseat, and now I'm smiling from the stage while you were clapping from the nosebleeds. We're so glad that you decided to come out today. My name is Bill. I want to welcome you here to Kensington, Birmingham. We have a great service for you today. We're going to be talking about fighting in our families. I'm sure none of you have ever experienced that. Uh, But that's me. This is my friend Trey. Trey, how's your morning going? It's going great. Glad to be here. Glad to see you guys, all your smiling faces. It's good to be here. So Trey is our new student ministries director here in Birmingham. We introduced him last week. He got a what what from, from Brody down here. That's good. Students like him. So, Trey, you've been on staff for a week, right? That's right, yeah. So, what's your first week been like? It's been amazing. You guys have been so welcoming, getting to know the staff, the students, uh, parents. It's been great, and I'm excited. We have a, actually a parent meeting right after this service in the breakaway room down the hall. And it's if you're a parent of a middle schooler, high schooler, they don't have to come to our ministry. But if you just want to get to know what we're doing over the next semester, we'd love to meet you guys and just let you in on the loop. Yes. Will there be donuts? There will be donuts. There so we you go. Want to be there. Middle school, high school parents, we have donuts for you. Uh, so there's parents meeting afterwards. I'm going to be there. I got a middle school student, so we hope that you'll be back there to meet Trey and connect with him a little bit. Trey, it's February, even though outside today it feels like, I don't know, March, maybe it's April-ish. Nice. Yeah. It's nice out. That's right. It's a windy Sunday. Uh, even though it's this season, what are you excited about this summer for our students? This summer, we have an incredible opportunity for our students because I think students, their faith can grow and it's put into action. And so we have designed a summer serve camp where they're going to Racine, uh, Wisconsin, and they're going to actually be serving a community there, whether it's uh, building wheelchair ramps or cleaning yards or whatever that looks like, and then have incredible worship there as well. It'd be an amazing week at camp. So that's this summer, middle school and high school. So that's like kind of a combination of a retreat and a missions trip equals summer surf camp. Right. Okay, well, it's going to be a great memory time for your kids, so make sure you get signed up. Trey will be there in Wisconsin. I'll be there. Uh, maybe I can, you know, get my seventh grader there if she feels like going out of town for that long. Maybe we can give her a power tool or something like that. They're going to be using power tools, so just know that. Uh, hey, so that's the party for the students. The party for the parents is going to happen here at Birmingham starting next week. We have this thing called intentional parenting, and I have two kids. Uh, I don't know about you, but sometimes we have these great plans when it comes to parenting, and then everything hits the fan, and we're kind of putting things back together with duct tape. And so our goal is to equip you in community on parenting. And so our own discipleship director, Jenny Warns, is going to be
be leading that class. It starts next Sunday morning at the 11 o'clock service. You can sign up right outside here, but get involved with the intentional parenting. Uh, it's going to be an amazing experience. Trey, speaking of amazing experiences, oh man, what do we have going on this morning? This morning is something incredible. We're going to have lyrically amazing. Lyr- I mean, we're, we're talking about like fight fighting, fighting today, right? Do you fight with your service? wife with lyrics? Uh, yeah, I, I just spit mad spit rhymes? verbs. Well, this is what we have this morning. We have a special treat for you. We have our first ever Kensington, Birmingham rap battle. Mm. All right. So let me introduce our contestants. So in this corner, coming in at six foot two, you don't want to know his weight. He loves lazy Saturday afternoons. He prides himself on taking naps after Thanksgiving dinner and loves him some Steely Dan. This is Dan the Dad Banstra. All right. And in this corner, standing at tall five, three... We got ourselves, she likes ninth grade history, maybe Sean Mendez, I don't know, but we got Juju the daughter Banstra. You're done. Okay. You're done. Okay. <laughs> hey, who's gonna win? Your yeah. No, 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 no. All right. Yo, yo, give me my beat. Oh. Oh. Huh. First time, here we go. Watch the flow. They put me up with a teenage girl. You know the shit's the center of the whole world. But let me give you a reality check. Stop spending all my money or you put me into debt. I can't stand the way you whine and moan. Better check your privilege, check your tone. Spare me a drama and acting like a damage. Now go back home and make your dad a sandwich. Ha! Oh, oh. Okay. Did what? He, did he just go there? What? Wow. Are you going to let him do that You're to you? are always hungry. What? Yeah. All right. Uh, give me my beat. Hey, Dad. Or should I call you Daddy? It's time for a diet because you're looking kind of flabby. How? You think you can sing? You know what you're good at? Eating all them onion rings. Aw, are your feelings bruised? The couch, Dad, and watching all that fake news. No, Dad, it's not too late. So get your butt off the couch and take my mom on a date. Oh. Sir. Oh. She came back with some history on yeah. that one. Okay. 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 Being mean. Yeah. That's what we're going to do, mean girls? Yeah. Oh, that's original. Being mean. Uh-huh. All right. Hold. Give me my beat. Mean girl. All right. Huh. What have we got here? That's original. A girl that's mean. Let's talk about your mama. Why are you wearing her jeans? Oh, dad, these are fashionable. You can't understand, right? These are fashionable. You can't understand. I can't understand because I'm the man. See, me and your dad, let me tell you what it brings. All your drama and all the mood swings. I just won this round ring a ding a ding ding. So bow to me because I am the king. That's right. No. The king, I'm the is, king. Here. Dilly the king is here. Dilly King is here. I'm the king, Dilly Dilly. All right, all right. Show- no. Dilly Dilly to the king. Okay. You're done. All Sh- right. Show what's up. Crush you. Oh, that's clever, Dad, making fun of my jeans. But you've been wearing the same outfit since 1993. Your style's whack, in case you didn't know. And I bet you five bucks you got them jeans out of Costco. <laughs> I'm under a lot of pressure. No, it doesn't help all your lectures while we're discussing all your parenting flaws. You're chubby and bald. Now I'll hold for my applause. Oh, oh no, wait a second. Wait a second. That wasn't, wait, wait. Wow. Wait, wait so Costco, wow. wait. Bald. Costco jeans are bad? <laughs> yes, Bill. Newsflash. Newsflash. So, hold on. How many of you think here, the king is here, Dan the Dad Banstro wins dilly, the dilly. rap battle challenge? Dilly, that, that's dilly, not dilly a, to the king. What, what, what about it? Who thinks the winner here is Juju, the daughter, Banstra? Hey. Oh. 
Stop I, clapping, wait, Bush. Can, can we call it? A, can we call it a tie? Because I mean, you're the student guy. She's a student. I don't even know that's fair. No, I, I won. I All right, come on. Off stage. Won. Off stage. That's separate right. corners. We want you guys to fight. That's right. That's All right. right. Separate corners. I told you we we're gonna have fun today. That's what fights look like in their household. I don't know what fights look like in your household, but it doesn't look like that. So what I want you to do right now is stand up, say hi to some people around you. Don't get in a rap battle with your kids. We're going to be back on in a minute. I don't know about you, but that doesn't look like that in my home. Like, sometimes I feel like Dan up here, you know? Like, I I love when I give that one-line zinger to my kid, and I'm trying to teach them that lesson, and they kind of have that response. And for me, maybe it even ends good. Like, there's laughter at the end from me as as somebody else is walking away. But I don't know about you, but in our homes, I, I don't think it quite ends that way. I think many of our fights in our homes have a little bit more intensity, a little bit more emotion, uh, and maybe have some consequences that last beyond the next few minutes. And so what we want to do today in this is just a phase series is we want to take a little bit of time and we want to talk about why we fight in our families. We want to talk about how we fight in our families and we want to talk about what we actually should be fighting for. She took her first step. Have a great day, sweetie. I hope she'll be okay. Oh, she'll be fine. All right, hold still, honey. Here we go. Yeah, there it is. Okay, let's take a look. Oh, it's not too bad. Just a scratch. I think she needs stitches. Stop. I know, I know. I'm so sorry, honey. Girls can be mean. Be careful. And remember, everyone out there is an idiot. Ugh. Oh, honey, you look so beautiful. What's his name? Seriously? Oh, look at you. My goodness. Honey, we're really proud of you. Okay, you're going to do great. I'll FaceTime you around four every day. <laughs> we'll see about that. Are you okay? Yeah, I'll, I'll be fine. It just went so fast. I know. I know. That gets me every time. Every time. It's so good to be with you all this morning. And we're excited to have uh, the final week in this series on parenting and on families. And... Uh, They say that the days are long, but the years are short. And I feel like that video captured that idea perfectly, perfectly. And it's been amazing to hear what God's been doing, not only at our campus, but also across the other campuses of Kensington. And uh, to hear how God's using this focus on families and on parenting just to bring an intentional focus to something as we seek to, uh, men as we seek to love our wives better, parents as we seek to love our children better and to raise them to love Jesus and just to see peace achieved in our families. It's amazing to think about, though, that, that what's happening in this room is actually happening across Southeast Michigan uh, and, and around the country as part of what we call the Kensington Movement. And the way we're able to do that, not only in this room, in this space together and rent this, this public high school and gather here each week by God's grace, and we love this facility, the way we're able to do that is actually through your generosity. And we're so grateful that because of your generosity and your faithfulness to give, uh, we're able to do this, not only locally, but also globally around the world through our church planting efforts around the world. 
And it's amazing to think also that because of your generosity, because of the Everyone campaign that we're, we are in the middle of right now, because of that, there's a brand new building that is going up for our Clinton Township campus. I was able to visit it a couple weeks ago, and I was just blown away by, by just how well it's laid out and how well it fast is coming along and just how much God's going to use this in the future. So we've got an update video to show you here in a quick second featuring Frankie, the intern, bringing us another, another fresh take on that building. Uh, but as we get ready to watch that, we're inviting our ushers to come forward and receive our morning offering. And, uh, and this is just part of how we worship God here. And we worship him by giving back to him out of a portion of what he's given to us. If you're a first timer today or, or you're new, or, or maybe this, this is somewhere that you've been brought as a visitor, please don't feel any obligation to give. Just let it go by. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you consider Kensington Church to be your home, we invite you to, to worship God by giving generously. Let's watch this video together and get an update on our new building. Oh my gosh, this thing is like a polar vortex. Can you see it, Tom? Oh my gosh, it's so hot. All right, everybody, it's Frankie the Intern here. Uh, we're back to check out the Clinton Township building. We're going to get to go on a tour today. I'm pretty excited. It's our lucky day. All right, everybody, this way, this way. This is where we're going now. Something we're really excited about for this room in particular, though, is that if our alpha class really works out, we're going to be starting Beta and Charlie. Okay, you guys, this is the multi-purpose room. It's going to be used for Alpha and Celebrate Recovery. They're going to have a production booth here in the back. Wow, is this the lobby? Oh, my gosh. Wow, a couple, just like several months ago, there was no roof. There was no walls. This is incredible. I've got a lot of pride and joys in this building. Like I tell you, one of them is the men's bathroom. So come here, check it out. Look at this. Wow. You got your sinks, but the best part is, look, how many stalls you got, look how many urinals you got. Oh, man. Look at that. Praise the Lord. And this one right here will be one with a handicap. Ooh. Big, nice, spacious. Look at that. Yeah. We'll have plenty uh -huh. of room. Well, excuse me just for a moment. Oh, that's a urinal. Oh. Oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> can see from the outside looks like they got this garage door here so they can bring in any vehicles or large items such as an animal as we've had on stage before you guys look at this auditorium it's because of all the people who have given to the everyone campaign thank you guys so much it's gonna be thousands of people in this region who don't know jesus christ great people that god is going to bring and they're going to move this ball forward we don't even know them yet it's pretty great to think about it all right, you guys, it's been awesome to be on this Clinton Township tour today. I'm pretty excited for the impact that this building is going to have. It's going to be awesome, you guys. Can't wait to see you guys next time. It's Frank the Intern, signing off. Much love. Hey, Tom, check this out. Check this out. I think they're going to build a pool in here because they got a ton of pool noodles. I'm going to build a raft. <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. So we're so excited about what's going on. In a couple months, we're going to have um, their first Sunday in there, the grand opening, and we'll all be invited to check it out. So we're super encouraged by what God's doing uh, through your generosity as part of Kensington Church. So this third week of It's Only a Phase is all about fighting well. Fighting well. Now, this is something I, I kind of wish had been covered more in my premarital counseling. We talked about finances. We talked about families. We never really talked at length about how to resolve conflict in a healthy way. And if you were at all like me, for me, I avoided big arguments during the dating and even engagement season because I think there was this fear that like, man, if I really pushed back or I really you know, got into a heated exchange, that maybe she'd be like, forget this guy. So I kind of equated tension and disagreement with a broken relationship. And so I didn't really engage the way I should have to kind of create some healthy boundaries. But just like anything else, what you may have been able to stomach for nine months of engagement or a year of dating, at some point, 
You're not going to be able to suppress your true feelings and disagreements and fights are going to happen. It's inevitable. Everybody fights. Every family has disagreements. Maybe for you, you had a doozy on the way in here. Isn't it amazing? Has everyone ever noticed some of the best, most intense fights happen on the way to church? Anybody else feel that? Or is it just your pastor here? All right. Uh, some of our greatest arguments as a married couple happened on the night we were doing a mentoring session for another couple, which I always found to be kind of awesome. Like when we were living in Detroit, I remember Angie and I were in the middle of this huge disagreement, extremely, uh, we'll call it animated, both of us. And, and like our phone rang and it was the couple standing downstairs waiting to be buzzed up. And like, we had, I'm like, all right, we got one more minute to keep going with this. And until we heard the knock on our door, that was when like we, we dismissed to our corners. So everybody fights. And, and, and the hope would be that at the end of today, that you would be given some tools and some thoughts to help us to fight well, help us to fight well. It's amazing that I'm even talking to you about how to fight well as a family, how to, how to uh, deal with your children in a way that's healthy when they fight or push back against you. Because there was a long season where we didn't think children were going to happen for us. And so this is just evidence of God's grace in our lives and the incredible gift of children, the incredible gift that they are to us. But sometimes we can, we can put so much emphasis on the gift and, and our gratefulness for children or for a spouse that we could start to, in some ways, unintentionally almost idolize them and put them on a pedestal where we are afraid to push them. We're afraid to discipline. We're afraid to say what we know they don't want to hear because we are so afraid that there's going to be distance, that they're going to dislike us. And how many of us could say that fear has kept us sometimes from engaging and pressing into a moment with a spouse or with our children, even though we knew we should? Uh, Some of my appreciation of my parents has come much later in life, which is probably pretty common because at the time I never really understood the severity of my punishments when I did something. I mean, sure. I got into a fight in school and got caught red handed by a teacher. Me and this kid, his name was Thomas Whipple. We were fighting in the hallway and uh, the teacher caught us both. And I tried to talk my way out of it. because She was like a young teacher. I thought maybe I could convince her that she didn't see what she thought she saw. I tried my Jedi mind tricks. Nothing worked. And so I got a detention. The parents were called. And so I went home and I had to face the music. And my parents said, okay, well, here's your punishment. And they said, because of this fight... You are no longer going to sports weekend with your youth group. Now, you guys have to understand, I had been waiting to be old enough to finally go to this thing called sports weekend, which was this area church event where every youth group, the kids competed in athletic competition. It was glorious. It was like the Olympics for Christian kids or something. I don't know. But I was so, I had signed up for every single event. I was competing in everything. I was so, my sisters had gone for years and loved it. And I was finally going to get to go. And they took that away. And it said, and furthermore, that same weekend, you're going to have Thomas Whipple over to your house, to our house for a sleepover. And you're going to rake our leaves with him in our front yard. I'm like, what did you guys just read a book or something? Like, where did this come from? Man, so I was so angry. I'm like, you guys cannot. All right. It's one thing to take away the sports weekend, but don't put my sworn enemy in my room. This is like some next level diplomacy, like world peace negotiations here. So he came over and we raked the front yard together and it took us forever and uh, watched a movie together. And like, I, th- I think in some ways, th- maybe we never became great friends, but there was some peace that was achieved. But it was a little weird the next morning because I guess he's one of those people that wake up early on Saturdays in high school. I don't know who they are or what faction you're a part of or where you came from, but at like 6 a.m., I kind of opened my eye and he was standing there just staring at me as I slept. So it's a little weird. But I look back now and I look at the, the, the punishments that my parents gave out. But you know what's so funny? I never, ever got into another fight at school the rest of my high school career. It wasn't worth it. We'll figure it out. Or I'll like wait till gym class and just intentionally foul him and throw him to the ground in a game where it's a technical foul, but it's not detention and punishment with my family. It's, it's, it's amazing for me to look back and see that some of those moments that seemed so ridiculous, that seemed so intense... There was something much deeper that my parents were actually trying to teach me. There was something that they knew that if they took something away that I really wanted to do, that I would never forget that feeling. And maybe when I'm tempted to get into another fight, I would remember what it cost me. 
and I wouldn't do it again. And it actually worked. It actually worked. I didn't get in a ton of fights in school to begin with, but that was my second and my last. And they did that. But, but here's what I want to challenge you with today, that your children, our children are worth fighting for. Our children are worth fighting for. And so we want to kind of make some separations here, make some things kind of clear. And the first thing just to ask you is how can we fight well? How can we fight well? It seems like an oxymoronic statement, fighting well. Like how do you fight, but do it in a way that can be positive, that can be productive? How do we disagree? And, and please, when I, when I say fight, please don't take this to any level of abuse. I'm not condoning abuse or physical. I'm not talking physical here. I'm talking about disagreements, arguments, punishments, things like that, more in the verbal realm here. And so, and so first we want to look at the idea of how we can fight well is recognizing that fights happen. But, but what we think about here is that how we resolve them as parents, and I think about me as a dad, it's a very big deal. It's a big deal because the Bible says it's a big deal. Because something is going on that's so much bigger than just this disagreement. Something so much bigger is going on between me and my child. And not just that they're viewing me as their dad, but there's something spiritual happening as well. It's amazing to think about, and maybe it adds pressure and you don't like to think this way, but how much of our view of God as our father is affected by our view of our earthly father. And so there's something very real and very huge at stake there in how we choose to lead men and women as parents. So what we want to kind of talk about here is the idea of fighting against. Do I make a difference today between fighting against and fighting for? So the idea of fighting against, I want to just walk you through a, a couple of passages, a couple of thoughts. The first one's in Colossians chapter 3, verse 21. I'm going to back it up a little bit and do verse 20 as well. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And then fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. So I love that in verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Isn't that interesting? So it's saying, it doesn't say obey your parents because you should. It says that when we're obedient, when we obey God, that's actually, or when we obey our parents, that's actually pleasing God. There's something happening. There's another level that's happening. It's not just about what's happening between me and my children. There's something spiritual happening when they obey me. So kids, I don't want you to feel like today you're off the hook. There's a, there's a lot of teaching for you today in this as well, as far as how to fight well, how to disagree well. And it starts with obeying your parents. But secondly, look what it says to fathers. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Provoke. It's a very intentional word here. This brings about the idea of, and we're going to expand on this more in a second, the idea of irritating and embittering them lest they become discouraged. Or in other words, in case they lose heart. So it's the idea of intentionally irritating them, uh, making them bitter. Uh, now, I can just tell you right now that, that this sounds simple, like, oh, okay, I just won't poke my kid with a stick, or I won't say the thing that makes them mad. But just yesterday, just, as, as if God knew I was going to talk about this today, as if he somehow knew that this was the message for this week. Just yesterday, one of my children, who shall became, become nameless, remain nameless right now, had headphones on at the table. She was listening to music earlier. Everything was fine. But when she sat at the table to eat, I said, please remove your headphones. That was once. Hey, sweetie, can you just get your headphones off? She may not have heard me the first time. So there was a second time. No response still. But she had responded to something else someone had said. So I know she can hear. Third time, sweetie, headphones off now. Still didn't come off. Fourth time. Get the headphones off. They come off, literally said this, Dad, chill. Can I get a witness, please? Can I get a witness? Man, my fuse is already going at one, two, three, four, and then to be told to chill? Oh, I'll show you chilled, kiddo. You go sit on the steps. I'm going to be there in two minutes. I'm going to show you chill. That's kind of fresh, I guess. <laughs> so I'm not standing up here saying 
that there are these angels. That there's moments where they don't push your buttons and moments they don't stick their finger in your eyeball. Like to provoke you. And this is saying, Dad, don't provoke them. Don't embitter them. Don't irritate them. Lest they become discouraged, heartbroken, or lose heart. I like what Ephesians 6 says. Here's Paul addressing another church that he had helped start, helping people learn how to live. Like, how should the family function? The world is watching us. How does a Christian family operate? Followers of Jesus, the culture's telling us to do one thing. We're telling you to do something else. Ephesians 6 famously starts out, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. But look at, look at what verse 4 says. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger. This is another, is another presentation of the same idea, but the deeper meaning here is, is that children are not to be manipulated or crushed, to not administer excessively severe discipline, to place on them unreasonably harsh demands, abusing our authority. Or to be arbitrary or unfair. To constantly be nagging or, and this is maybe the the most interesting one and the most personal. To subject them to humiliation in front of others. Or to be grossly insensitive to your child's needs. That's all what this provoking your children to anger piece is really referring to. It's a very deep cultivated idea about what can happen. But instead, here's what I love. It's not just saying, hey, don't do this. Don't bug them. Don't bother them. Don't humiliate them. That's one thing. But the second part of it, it says, instead, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So this word, bring them up, really the the idea there is to nourish them. To nourish them. How do we nourish them? Discipline and instruction. Discipline refers to training Instruction refers to teaching. And what I love is it's the training of the Lord, the teaching of the Lord. How do we train them and how do we teach them? Saying, don't exasperate them, don't humiliate them, but instead love them enough to train them and to teach them. You're like, great, so tell us how. It's easy to say, it's very difficult to do. Because children are relentless, aren't they? Like, you can't celebrate victories. Like, when I was a student ministries pastor, we didn't have any kids. So I'd have a breakthrough with a kid, and I'd be like, mm. I'd drive home, like, man, I got through to Billy today. Awesome sauce. I'll see him next week, maybe, if there's no soccer practice. Parents are like, yeah, dude, great win, but you're going to see him in the morning, and the afternoon, and the evening. And that win gets lost very quickly in this series of other challenges. It just never ends. And so it's this incredible picture of training and instruction, consistency, and how to keep walking with them through it. It seems like an impossible task, and in some ways maybe it is on our own. But when we're engaging in this fight, so the kid literally looks at you and says, Dad, chill. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if that's ever happened to you. But I will say, when you heard it, there was an actual like visceral response in this room. So maybe you've heard a variation of it or you're just imagining how I felt in that moment. And so there's this, there's this decision I have. Do I win this battle? Do I go after and crush this child for how dare you talk to your father like that? And I don't know if I ever have used the word father until that happened. <laughs> then it becomes very formal. But there's an idea where you can go so hard after winning the battle that you lose the war. I would have conversations about couples that were struggling in their relationship and the husband would sit across from me and tell me every reason why he was right and she was wrong. Well, she does this and she does this and she does this and I'm right and she's wrong, but she doesn't admit that she's wrong and I'm right. And I'm like, okay, let me just call time out. You are going to be right. If you keep fighting for how right you are, you're going to be right and single. 
So what's more important? Find common ground, humble yourself, lay down your rights and make peace between the two of you and find some common ground to settle or take your victory all the way to an empty house. I know that seems harsh, but I've seen it play out so many times that we are so right in our rightness. We claim that battle that's right in front of us and we don't even realize that we're losing the bigger war. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. So, so part of this whole thing is, what does the win look like in a family fight? Clarify the win. What does it look like to settle something? Does the win mean the kid is sobbing and going to their room? Is that a win for a parent? Is the win mean that, that you are so discouraged and frustrated that you storm out and get in the car and drive around the block? I actually had a counseling session with someone one time, not from this church, far, far away, many years ago. They shall remain nameless. The guy said that when he was confronted by his wife about anything, he would go and hide in the garage and hope she couldn't find him. Grown man, 45 years old. And I said, I, he's like, what, what do you think I should do? I'm like, I have a few thoughts. But it's amazing that, that, that we, if we don't clarify what the wind looks like in a disagreement or in a family fight, then how do we even know that there's been a wind that's occurred? And, and for me as a dad, I remember Angela once saying to me, and this was not one of my finest moments, so I'm trying to be really transparent. She's like, you kind of think that you're right about just about everything, don't you? Like in your mind, you think that the way you're doing it's the best way and what you think is right. I'm like, well, yeah, doesn't everybody kind of think they're right? It's like, not like you do. <laughs> that was not a win for me. That was not a compliment she was doling out to me. That was, a, that was a teachable moment for us to talk through. So I talk about this idea of a nuclear button. A nuclear button. This is something that a government has somewhere in all of our minds and all of our movies. It's this giant red button that requires multiple keys to be turned. But you're hoping that there's someone in power that you can trust to administer well the, the nuclear football codes to depress that nuclear button to launch nuclear war. And so when I talk about in, in, in disagreements and fighting, there's a nuclear button. We have it in marriage. If you say this one thing, you know you just took out the key, turned it, entered the code, and went boom and launched something. Because you said that one thing that you know you're never supposed to say. And you said it. And you're like, oh, I said it. It's on. It's on. Angela and I, after we left Detroit and we moved to upstate New York to be with her parents... Because of the struggles she was experiencing and the things we were going through as a, as a married couple in our relationship, we were really struggling and I didn't know if we were going to make it. And I remember her saying to me one day, at some point you have to lay down what you have on me. Like you can't keep playing that card because I will never win an argument ever again. If you play, you have a trump card. Sorry. You have a winning card <laughs> that you can play at any time to always be right no matter what anyone else says. And she's like, you have to like either get over that or lay that down. I'm not telling you like that it's going to be okay in that sense, but you like, she's like, I just feel like I'm always in a corner because no matter what the argument's about, you can just play that card and win. So we had to have a conversation about, okay, I have to stop playing that card because that became the nuclear button for us. If I played that card, it was me knowingly staring her in the face and pushing that button, launching weapons that I knew she couldn't recover from or defend herself against. And so we had conversation about what those things would be. And we made rules. Rule number one, don't say those things. Rule number two, don't call each other names. Which was easier for me. But for her, early on in marriage, it was harder for her to adhere to that. Because I can be a jerk sometimes. (laughs) And so she started saying, you're acting like a jerk. So we added the like a. Which somehow softened it. And I think it was like sort of the letter of the law, not the spirit of the law. In the, but I allowed it because I was being a jerk. So thinking about as a family, what are your nuclear button words? What are the things that you are not going to say when the arguments break out? Now, that sounds really simple, but it's super important. 
Where you even sit down today as a spouse and say, okay, that really challenged me because I know when we argue and I say this thing, I know for a fact it's going to crush you, humiliate you, and end the argument. And you know, that's part of relationship is sort of knowing the nuclear codes shows that you're in a relationship. You've got that football and you have the power to crush them and win any argument. But love means not keeping that record of wrongs. Love means not playing the card. Love means laying that ability down and working through it on a level playing field. So it's even talking as a family saying, okay, kids, we're going to disagree about things. There's no question. But here's what we as parents will not do. Number one, we're not going to say this thing. And it may be different based on your child. Some kids are so strong-willed that you're like, I'm not going to say this phrase that I can see provokes you to anger. I can see it's embittering you. I can see this phrase humiliates you. I can see that this crushes your heart. And I've been about winning more than about fighting for your heart. So I'm not going to say that anymore. Number two, I'm not going to call names. How many of us have been called names by parents throughout our life? And that name then comes back. Later in life, you hear that name and there's a part of you that just shudders. And you're walking through counseling. You're trying to get that name flushed out of you because you've inadvertently started to believe that that's who you are. Nuclear button number two, no calling names. I'm just giving you examples. You know what your list is. Number three, nuclear button three, no screaming. I remember the first time I raised my voice to the girls in the car. They were bickering in the back seat. Something that never happens, or at least daily. Um, they're bickering in the back seat, and I kept saying, all right, guys, that's enough. Okay, that's enough. I think four is my magic number. The fourth time I said stop arguing, I turned and raised my voice in like an operatic level. And they both went, <gasps> and London just went, I just started to cry just based on pure volume. I didn't even say anything like crazy mean. It was just the volume and the intensity. And I saw in that moment with her, if I raise my voice, it wins the battle. It shuts her up, but it crushed her and it scared her. It scared her really intensely. And I grew up in a home where that was fairly common. And so maybe my skin's a little thicker. But maybe that's something that needs to be on your list of nuclear buttons. And when you know it's a nuclear button and everyone's agreed to this, when you cross that line, everyone knows. So it's agreed upon and you do it. It's like, oh, dad, you're never supposed to say that. Or, or, you know, in your spouse relationship, whatever it may be, you know that you've crossed the line. Then you know that you are absolutely going about it the wrong way. It's that idea in Ephesians where it says, be angry and do not sin. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. I used to always think that was like a curse or like a formula. Like, oh no, the sun's going down and we're still fighting. I'm going to turn into some sort of a strange werewolf or something weird's going to happen. No, it's wisdom saying if you let the sun go down on your wrath, you're allowing that unresolved issue to be slept on and to wake up. And now it's like you move on without dealing with it. Married couples, think about this. Think about the moments that you stayed up till three in the morning fighting it out and working it out. And you received this incredible unity and you understood it's this beautiful moment. Or when you went to bed and you got up the next day and you just run out to an early meeting, you don't resolve it. It says in the next verse, don't let the sun go down in your wrath and and don't give the enemy or Satan a foothold because that's what that is. It's like the door is slamming and a foot gets stuck right in there. It's a way to breach this relationship. Nuclear buttons, making deals. So your last nuclear button may be, we are not going to sleep until this is resolved as a family. Now, what's interesting about these nuclear buttons and and making these promises is that it's going to cost you something. Think about that to engage this stuff consistently to engage these disagreements. It costs you something costs you sleep. It may cost you social engagements. It costs you something and it's so much easier. And, And at times it's like, you know, I just don't have the energy for this conversation right now. Just go to your room. I can't even deal with it right now. Or I don't have time to deal with this right now. And so when we make these kinds of decisions to fight for, which is the next deal here, fighting for versus fighting against. When we say we're going to fight for, it's this picture that we are willing to do what it takes to fight for this relationship, to fight for your child, to fight for your spouse, to fight for their hearts. 
And just like anything else, that fight for looks like fighting against. It looks like it, it looks very similar, except that you're not crossing certain lines. There's rules of engagement to this fight, and your ultimate goal is to find unity and to find peace and to find agreement. But it costs you things. It can cost you a lot of sleep. It can cost you a lot of energy. It can even cost you times out as a family where you're like, you know what? We need to go and just deal with this. Are we willing to fight for our families? Here's what I love. I love this idea too, that Jesus sets an incredible example for us in this. Jesus sets an example. He showed us what it looks like to fight for the hearts of people who have no idea that you're fighting for them or no idea what they need or what they want. In fact, Jesus at the cross in Luke chapter 22 said this as he was heading over there. As they were taking him to Calvary in Luke chapter 23, excuse me, it says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now just to pause there, who didn't know? The Roman executioner that had literally nailed thousands of people to a cross, he suddenly didn't know how to do his job? All the soldiers that were dragging him to the cross, they didn't know what they were doing? No, they knew exactly what they were doing. So who was he talking about? They don't know what they, they don't know what they do. Forgive them. He was talking about everyone involved, not only in the crucifixion, but all of us. That we didn't know what we were doing. He was asking for, to for, he was forgiving those who were not even sorry because we had no idea what was happening. We had no idea how big this moment was because we were disappointed as humanity. We were disappointed that Jesus wasn't what we wanted. And yet he was exactly what we needed. And he loved us so much that he laid down his life for us, not because we wanted him to, but because we desperately needed him to. We just didn't know it yet. And I think about children. Think about the fights that you get in constantly about food, sleep, Safety, friends, substances, athletics, travel, staying here, dating this person, whatever it may be, you look at it and you're like, listen, just trust me. You don't know what you're talking about. I've been there and I'm telling you, you can't eat this. You can't go to this place. You can't date this guy. You can't spend this thing. You can't. And they're like, you don't know what is wrong with you. And you're like, I am fighting for your heart. And you won't understand that now, but someday, hopefully you will. Because they don't know what they don't know. And here's Jesus, the ultimate act. And this whole thing is all the gospel. He lays down his rights and dies for those who are trying to kill him. He willingly gives himself up and loves those who wanted nothing to do with him. What an incredible picture, what it looks like to forgive our children who are not even sorry. To forgive our spouse who may not be sorry because we are fighting for their hearts. And they can't see the big picture, but we can. And are we okay? Are we okay to go to sleep at night knowing they don't understand what we've done is for their good, but someday they will? It's so hard to convince a kid to trade their immediate gratification for their long-term good. Because immediate gratification is all that they want. And we're going, no, 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 no. That is not good for you. There's something much bigger. There's something much better worth waiting for. Fighting for their hearts means fighting for their future. Fighting for their hearts means fighting for their future. And as parents, it's very easy to feel overwhelmed by this and to think, wow, God's entrusted us to mold and to shape these lives. And as you look down at that child and you go, wow, this is a lot of pressure. Sometimes we parent out of a place of not wanting to do what our parents did to us. And so we run to the other extreme. Well, my dad did this and this and this, so I don't want to be that guy, so I'm not going to do any of that. But we don't understand that he parented the way he did because he had a different experience that he wanted to avoid. All of a sudden, we start to realize that it's all reactionary parenting instead of intentional parenting. And I really encourage you to check out that class we're starting next week about intentionally walking into this, saying, what is our plan? How are we going to resolve conflict? What are the things we're going to do? What matters to us? And are we okay 
to see the kids' parents that are letting them do whatever they want live with the title of the cool parents. Our desire to be cool doesn't end in the junior high lunchroom. Our desire to be cool carries all the way through it. No one wants to be like, I've stopped being cool, and I'm okay with that. People don't normally say, even saying, like, I'm nerdy or I'm a dork is another way of saying they're cool just in a different way. So we haven't stopped talking about that. And it's no different as parents. You want the other kids to say that you're the cool parents. And there's that weird pressure to give in. And it's really that fear. Fear drives so much of what we do. Do we love them enough to fight for their hearts, which is really fighting for their future? Perfect love that we have for our children that God gives us, it drives out fear. Because so much of this is being afraid, isn't it? So much of the things I do or do, don't do are driven by a fear that they're not going to turn out this way. Or what if someone sees this? Or what if they say this? Or what if they're not good at this? Or what if it reveals my own failings? Perfect love of God drives out fear. And here's a, here's a challenge to lay to you here as we close. You will never regret pressing into the moment of tension and conflict until it's re- resolved. You'll never regret pressing into it no matter how long it takes or how intense it gets. You will never regret embracing it and engaging it. What you will regret is being passive and letting it go. So about a year ago, our little girl, London, who is a sweetheart, loves people, our little servant heart. And she, you know, we went to her kindergarten parent-teacher conference. And her teacher sat us down, and, she, and she's telling us all the good stuff about London. And then she kind of looks at us, and we just had never heard a bad word about her to this point. And we're like, ah, she's great. This is awesome. And she's like, now there's one more thing I need to tell you. She's had some behavior issues. She's being kind of a mean girl, and she's doing this, and she's not treating people this way. And, and, and we're like, I literally leaned forward. I was like, are you, not to be stupid, but you just check. The, you say London Johnson, right? London, not Luann or somebody else's kid. No, it's London. So we came home. And on the way home from that bad report, I had made plans that night, way in advance, to hang out with some friends and watch a game. And I was already going to be 10 minutes late as it is. And on the way home, Angela's like, sweetie, I know you've got a game. And so I want to just like give you the out if you want to do it another time. But she's like, in my heart, I feel like we need to engage this right now. And in my most Christ-like way, I was like, oh, come on, babe, do I have to? I might have done that. I walked up into her room and I sat down with her. I said, London, we got a really bad report. Tell me what's going on. She immediately, dad, I just, I want to do the right thing, but I just don't feel like I can. And I keep trying to say the right thing and the wrong thing comes out. I just don't, I'm just, it's like, I just don't know what to do. I feel like I can't stop. And I said, well, London, what, what does Lily do when she feels trapped or she feels like she's overwhelmed and she can't do the right thing or can't get out of a situation? She goes, I know. She closes her eyes, takes a deep breath and says, God, help me. And I said, and does he? She goes, yeah. I said, do you know why she can do that? She goes, why? I said, because she trusted Jesus with her heart and with her life. She has relationship with God. Have you ever done that, London? No. Well, I'm not telling you that this is the moment to do it. I'm just saying, London, if you want him to help you in those moments, there's relationship that you need to have with him. She's like, well, I want to, Dad, can I? So after about an hour of talking through everything that it meant, everything that had gone on, she prayed to receive Jesus. And at the end of it, she's crying, I'm crying, Angie's crying, videos are being taken, we gave her a Bible. And I said, tomorrow though, London, here's the thing, you are not out of the consequences of this at all. Tomorrow you need to stand in front of your class and tell all those kids you're sorry and ask them to forgive you. And she's like, Dad. I'm like, I know. Part of me is like, Ooh, this may not work. I don't know, God, I'm just going with what I feel like you're telling me to do. The next day she went into class, stood up right away and said, guys, I just want to tell you, I'm, this is from her teacher now. I just want to say how sorry I am. I've been mean. I've been, I've been rude. And I just want to say, I'm sorry and ask you to forgive me. And the whole class stood up and came and gave her a big hug and said how much they loved her. She came bounding off the bus that day because I was like waiting, like, please tell me this went okay. She runs into our arms. Daddy, it was great. Everyone forgave me. And I was like, and how'd you do? She's like, I felt so much different. Her teacher says she's a different little girl. And so all I'm saying is that 
I'm not the model parent. I've made a thousand mistakes yesterday. But what I am saying is that we never regret leaning into those moments, setting aside what else. Sure, I missed a Yankees game in the playoffs, but they won and God rewarded me. But no, um, sure, we missed, I missed out on something. But you know what? In the scope of eternity, does that game matter at all? What matters is the heart of a little girl. And she doesn't even need to know I missed something I was looking forward to. What she needs to know is that her parents love her enough to set everything else aside and fight for her sweet little heart because what we saw in her is that she was acting in a way that wasn't who she really was. So my encouragement to you as we step into this is not be afraid to engage with your children, with your spouses and be willing to fight for their hearts. You will never regret it.
fighting with each other, but fighting for each other and leaning into that tension and those conversations in a way where it's worth it. What a great message of hope as we end this series on being just a phase is that it is well, is that what's going on right now, Jesus is in it. He can get us through it and we can lean into some of that difficulty because in the end, we're fighting for each other in our families. We hope today that if this much just spoke to you, that you can share it with somebody. Go online to the app, get the video, send it to somebody maybe who wasn't here so that we can spread this message around our community. Maybe today, if uh, God spoke to you in some way, we'd love to have you come here. We'll have a prayer team after. Or maybe you can go talk to Starting Point. Uh, but we'd love for you to keep thinking about this conversation as the day moves on. What I want to do right now is I I want you to stay standing. I just have a a real quick uh, special announcement from Steve Andrews, our founding pastor, uh, just about something that's going to be going on over the next few weeks here at Kensington, Birmingham. So uh, check out this video. Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. And so we have people that are launching new initiatives, new dreams all the time. The beauty of life is when you can say, we did this together. That's what I want. 
as a church family, we can fuel incredible mission and ministry here and around the world. I think the best is yet to come. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be jumping in this idea of being an unstoppable force of how Jesus 2000 years ago set this thing into motion. And man, it would have been funny to know if the disciples thought it'd still be going here today, but on how you as the church can move out into this world and really be an unstoppable force. And so we hope you'll join us for that. Uh, Two notes from today's service. Listen, if you want to get into the intentional parenting, uh, the intentional parenting experience and learn how to fight for each other, then make sure you go over here, connect with Jenny and sign up. And if you're a parent of a high school or middle schooler, listen, Come back to the parents meeting and breakaway. Meet Trey and learn what's going on this year. We love you, and we hope that you have a great Sunday. We'll see you back here next week.